Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So uh, last week we started a kind of a, a few week conversation on reimagining. So we talked last week about reimagining the church and, and, and reimagining the church uh, not as uh, entertainment for the board, but as the communion of the saints. Not, not as a social club for the powerful, but as sanctuary for the broken. And not as an institution that protects some, but as a family for all. And today we're going to have a conversation about reimagining the Bible. And most folks in Texas, in the Bible Belt, have some kind of relationship with the Bible. And that relationship may just be like the verse that was cross-stitched on your grandma's dining room table. Uh, it might be vacation Bible school. It might be Bible drills. You ever do Bible drills? They would be like uh, Matthew 6, 12, and you would have to go to it. And then when you found it, you got to raise your hand and you got a prize for it. Uh, maybe memory verses, maybe you memorize some verses, set it in, st- in front of your Sunday school class or to your Sunday school teacher. Most people in our context have some kind of relationship to the Bible. Your relationship might just be general confusion. Uh, maybe the Bible has been used to harm you or people you love, and so your relationship to the Bible is that it is a harmful text. Maybe for you it's been a, a book of comfort. That in times of real struggle, you've quoted the Bible, you've, you've prayed out loud, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Or you've laid in bed and prayed, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. you know, for me, it has been all of those things. Uh, it has been harmful at times. It has been comfort at times. Uh, I have memorized, I have recited. I have studied, I have written about the Bible, way more words than I should. I have written and I have examined and I have thought and thought and thought about it. I have a complex relationship with this sacred text. And my relationship to the Bible started, I think, in the same way that a lot of your relationships with the Bible started. I started with this, that the Bible is inerrant. And if that's not a word that sounds right to you, I understand. But it just means that the Bible is without error in any way in its entirety. So the Bible is totally perfect and true. Right? All of it, perfect and true, inerrant. I'm guessing a lot of you heard either that phrase or that idea communicated to you that the Bible is perfect and true. But at some point, that kind of notion of the Bible started to break apart a little bit. You know, at some point in my journey of study and thought and writing, you just start realizing, you know, maybe there are some uh, uncomfortable contradictions here. And there's definitely some stuff we just choose to ignore. And some of this historical accuracy is just kind of off. And um, I think what the tendency for me and for others to do is to do kind of one or two things. If you, if you start with this foundation of inerrancy, that the whole thing is perfect and true, and then, of course, you find out maybe some things aren't totally perfect and true, I think what a lot of folks do is either, one, they just push aside those things they learn, put them under the rug, shut the door, sweep it under, forget about it altogether, or they just toss the whole thing out. Right, so I think a lot of people either ignore those errors and still hold tight to inerrancy, or they just decide the Bible's irrelevant. Right? Inerrant or irrelevant. 
ignore the truth, or forget about the whole thing. And I don't think that most of us would probably use that language to describe our relationship to the Bible, inerrant or irrelevant. But functionally, I think that's how we treat it. That at times in our life, we either put the Bible on the altar and we worship, or we burn it in the fire. That we treat the Bible as the exact and final words of God, or we treat the Bible like a coaster that goes on a side table in a guest bedroom. It's either inerrant or it's irrelevant. And so I'm hoping today that we can start the journey of building a new kind of relationship to the Bible, that we can reimagine what the Bible is, where it's neither inerrant or irrelevant, but rather it's beautiful, mysterious, and sacred. You know, in Jesus' day, the, the Jewish boys would start school at the synagogue when they were six years old, and they would go five days a week to study the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. But on the very first day of that school, the very first day of studying the Torah every day, they would uh, line up, and as they came in, the rabbi would greet each boy with a slate, a kind of chalkboard that had the Hebrew alphabet on it. And all the boys would sit down in their spots assigned to them, and the rabbi would go and put a, just a drop of honey on each of the boys' slates on their chalkboard. And then the rabbi would say, you can, you can eat that if you want. Honey was a treat. And then the rabbi would unroll his scroll to Psalm 19. And in a class full of six-year-old boys, the rabbi would read, the decrees of the Lord are righteous and true. They are sweeter than honey. Because for the Jewish people, the scriptures aren't primarily good for you. They are good to you. They're like honey. They're sweet. The Bible isn't meant to be primarily utility. It's beauty. It's an experience. The decrees of the Lord are sweeter than honey. Or maybe you've seen the acronym uh, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instruction Before Leaving Earth. But the Bible isn't an instruction manual. It's an experience. It's much more art than manual. It, it, it doesn't read, uh, the Bible is more helpful than any TED Talk. Or the Bible is more useful than any YouTube video. Right? It, it's sweeter. It is beauty. It is experience. And it's not just good for us. It doesn't just provide a utility it is good to us. It is an experience of goodness. It is art. And I know that, that most of the time it's easy. Most people think of the Bible uh, as just kind of primarily rules. It's just instruction, right? It is basic instruction, just rules. But the Bible is a library of books with dozens of genres. And only about 25% of the Bible is what we would call uh, discourse. It's like this, these kind of if-then arguments for righteous living. So here's what you should do and why you should do it. Only 25%. So three quarters of the Bible isn't instruction at all. About 40% of the Bible, 45% of the Bible is narrative. It's one big story. It's a story about God's people and how they got where they are. And then another 30% of the Bible is poetry. It's music. It's art. 
It's story and it's poetry. It's an experience. The Bible isn't meant to be examined. It isn't meant to be judged or critiqued. It is meant to be experienced. It is sweeter than honey. It is good to us, not just good for us. It is not utility. It's beauty. The Bible is beautiful. It is art. It is an experience. The Bible is beautiful and the Bible is mysterious. Maybe you've heard this phrase about the Bible. The Bible is clear about fill in the blank. The Bible is clear about immigration. The Bible is clear about how to vote. The Bible is clear about fill in the blank. I've used it. Preachers, pastors, leaders, we like to use it. But the Bible is not clear. The Bible is not clear, right? Every time you hear that, you should just uh, auto-translate it in your brain to, I am clear about my opinion that the Bible says this. The Bible is mysterious. There is always a story behind the story. The Bible is primarily story and poetry, and there are all these references and all this context that we don't know about and we can't know about. We won't know about, right? It's not a puzzle that we will eventually solve if we study hard enough. There's just all this story behind the story behind the story that we just never get. But all of that mystery, all of that story behind the story, it doesn't make it irrelevant. It just makes it engaging because you can keep going back to it. You can find something different every time. The mystery invites you in to experience it again and anew. Maybe if you're like me, you'd like to people watch. I really like to people watch. Maybe you have a favorite spot to do that. I like to do it at the airport. And I think I like to people watch at the airport because uh, you get to see the people over and over again. So like you see it, see them in security. You might see them in the Chick-fil-A line at the gate. And then maybe, hopefully or hopefully not, depending on what's happening, they're not on your plane. But we, everybody likes to people watch because you know there's more happening, right? When you see someone walking past you, you know they're not just walking past you. You know there's all these things happening, right? Like, like at the airport, if you're watching a, a married couple sitting next to each other scrolling at the gate, you know there's more happening. Like maybe uh, you saw them in the security line and you saw that even though that, that guy told his wife he took everything out of his pockets, he definitely did not take everything out of his pockets. And then when the uh, metal detector went off, he once again did not take everything out of his pockets. And now they're not just sitting next to each other at the gate. They are rage scrolling next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. Right? There's a story behind the story. And if you didn't see that, then you don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, the in-laws show up at like a volume 10. And now you really know why the wife is so upset and she's got her AirPods in and it's all over. And you know the story behind the story behind the story. Right? There's always more. And that's what it's like when you read the Bible. Sometimes we get a glimpse into that other story, and sometimes we will never know. Sometimes we weren't in the security line at the same time. We just won't know. There is always more story. The Bible is mysterious, and it is layered, and it is engaging. Like what Jesus' is famous sayings, like when he says in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three gather in my name, there I will be. That's not the whole story, because in the Jewish text of the time, the saying went, when two or, th- or two or more gather to read the Torah, God will be present. So Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I will be with you. 
you know, if, if you gather in my name, I'll be with you. He's saying, I'm the new Torah. I, I'm the new thing to devote your attention to. I, I'm the new thing to be devoted to. And when you gather in my name, I'll be with you. Maybe he's saying, don't gather in the name of the Torah anymore. I'll be with you if you just gather in my name. Right? There's a story behind the story, and we may not ever get to it, but there is always more. And like those words of Jesus, when he spoke them, he spoke in Aramaic. And then uh, the biblical authors, um, they wrote it down in Koine Greek. So they made a translation of the Aramaic into Koine Greek. It's a dead language now. And then someone else has now taken that Koine Greek and translated it into English. And, our, and since then, our English language has evolved. And a lot of times Jesus was quoting Hebrew. Sometimes he was quoting the Hebrew Bible, but in Aramaic. So he did a translation and then they did a translation. We do a translation. What we're reading sometimes is a translation of a translation of a translation. The Bible is not abundantly clear about much. It is a mysterious book, but it helps us to engage, to just keep coming back again and again and again, to experience it, not to examine it or judge it or critique it. Right? The Bible is beautiful and it is mysterious. And I believe it is sacred. I believe that the Bible is a sacred text. Now you probably heard it from 1 Timothy that all scripture is God breathed. But I don't think that means that God whispered the words of the Bible into the biblical author's ears. I think the Bible is God-breathed like we are God-breathed. Like when God breathed breath into Adam to make him alive. That God breathes into the Bible so that it comes alive. The Bible is sacred like you and I are sacred. Right? Scripture is sacred, but God didn't whisper into the biblical author's ears and he didn't like move their hands like a puppet with a string the Bible is an ancient library with a dozen different genres and tons of authors. And it's written by real people in real places with real problems to other people in real places with real problems. The Bible is the story of those real people in real places encountering God and then interpreting those encounters and writing it down. It's the, the Bible is the story about how people deal with God and about how God deals with people. And all of it, I believe, is a sacred narrative compiled and protected by God through time. I think it is a miracle that we have the Bible at all. It is a miracle. It has been compiled and protected. And I think just that we have it, that we have these texts tells us that it is sacred in some mysterious way. It's not the words of God, but it is a way to encounter and again, experience God. In the Bible, we find God it is a sacred text, but we can't divorce the humanity from this sacred text. The humanity of the Bible doesn't take away, doesn't detract from its divinity. The Bible is sacred and it's human. Right? And, and you're allowed to be confused and bothered by the Bible. You don't have to divorce your own humanity when you read the Bible. You are allowed to use your own personal experience, your reason, your brain as you read it. Your emotions are invited in to the experience of reading the Bible. 
the Bible is human, right? You are allowed to be confused and bothered when you read the Bible because humans are confusing and bothersome. And sometimes when these humans in the Bible, when they interact with God, when they interpret God's actions and then they live it out in some way, they don't get it right. We are not meant to imitate everything that happens in the Bible. We're not supposed to practice all of these things, all the words in the Bible, but we engage and we experience and we think about what it was like to be them in an ancient culture trying to figure out why it rained for so long that everything died. They're just trying to figure it all out. Right? We don't have to agree with every word. We don't have to understand every word. We don't have to practice every word. It is sacred. It is a way to experience God, but it is also human. And the humanness of the Bible does not detract from its divinity. Right? The Bible is beautiful. The Bible is mysterious. And the Bible is divine. It is sacred. And we build a relationship to the Bible that is ne neither inerrant or irrelevant by seeking to experience the Bible, not judge it or critique it or examine it. We just experience it for what it is, as a beautiful text, as a mysterious text, and as a sacred text. So for you, uh, what is your relationship with the Bible? If the spectrum uh, of relationship is inerrant to irrelevant, where do you kind of fall, right? Or, or uh, another way to say it, right, is if the relation, if the spectrum is like uh, coaster to idol, right? Do you worship it, or is it dusty on a bedside table or in the drawer because you feel like it's kind of weird to just keep it out? Where where does it fall? Where do you fall on the spectrum? And then of these ideas that the Bible is beautiful, the Bible is mysterious, the Bible is sacred. Which one of those for you is like the easiest for you to hold on to? You just say, that makes sense to me. I like that. Which of, which of it for you is just the hardest? You say, I don't know. I don't know if I can get there. For me, I can get on board um, with the divine nature of the Bible. Some people have a problem with that. I like that. Um, because when I struggle with that, I remember that I think all kinds of things are sacred, like nature and like you and like me. And of course, this, sac this book can be sacred. It has all these amazing stories about humanity through time trying to encounter God. Of course, it's sacred. And I believe you and I and this, all of thisness is sacred too. I'm down for it to be a sacred book. Um, but I struggle with the mystery part of it. I don't want it to be this mysterious. I want it to be a puzzle that I can solve. I want it to be difficult to solve because if it's difficult to solve and then I figure it out, I get to pat myself on the back afterwards. So I'm cool with it being a difficult puzzle. It doesn't have to be easy, but I don't want it to be so mysterious, like mysterious in a way that I may never figure it out. That bothers me a lot. The mystery is really hard for me. So for you, uh, of these ideas, beautiful, mystery, mysterious, sacred, which of those do you say, like, I can handle that, I got that? Which of these do you say, you know what, that's really hard for me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get there. or I don't know if I want to get there. And then how could you do less examining of the Bible, less critiquing, less judgment as you engage with it, and just more experience? You just kind of open yourself up to what's happening. Right? I think the goal would be um, for a lot of us to just be less worried about getting it right or thinking the right things about it and to just be with it, right? Less puzzle, more experience. So I, I like to do a practice called Lectio Divina. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, so when you do it, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of variations here, but in, 
in practice, what you're doing is you're picking a, a short passage of the Bible, maybe a verse or two or three, and you read it like three or four times in a row as slowly as you can. And at first, uh, you just pick out a word or phrase. So just one word or maybe a, a, a small phrase, and you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock that in. And then maybe you read it again, and, and you try to think about maybe what a point would be of the whole thing, but there doesn't have to be one. But if there is, that's okay, and you can write that down, and you can circle that, and you can lock that in too. And then you just read it just to be present with it, not to try to figure it out, not to, not to hold anything, but just to let it come to you. Not that you're trying to bring your interpretation or what you need from it. You don't have to apply any of it to your life. You just say, I'm just going to let it come to me. And then you just sit with it. Right? And maybe, best case scenario, you get one word out of it. You say, maybe uh, all I got was hope. That's a good word. And you just keep moving. And you don't have to judge yourself. And you don't have to judge the text. And you just have experienced it. I hope that we can reimagine the Bible, not as inerrant or irrelevant, but for what it is. That the Bible is beauty and it's art. That there's always more story in the mystery and that God is present in it. It's beautiful, it's mysterious, and it's sacred. Listen, our, our, our reimagining of the Bible, it ultimately means that we put the Bible in its rightful place. You know, it is our tradition's sacred text. It is a primary way to understand and experience God. I want us to engage it. I want us to experience it. I want us to love it. I think it's beautiful. But the Bible is not central to what we do here. We are not biblicists. We are Christians. We are not biblicists, we are Christians. We are not disciples of the Bible. I said it out loud and then the sirens came immediately. It makes me nervous, like the Southern Baptists are out to get me immediately. Whew. Okay, we are not biblicists, we are Christians. We are not disciples of the Bible, we are followers of Jesus. We do not worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. We are not seeking biblical justice, we are not seeking biblical marriages. We're not seeking biblical manhood or womanhood. We're not seeking to have a biblical community. We want Christ-like justice. We want Christ-like relationships. We want Christ-like community. We are Christians, not biblicists. And Jesus never commanded us to read our Bibles. There's no commands about which translation to use, how long of a quiet time, what to do with biblical authorship or inerrancy. Jesus did say, this is my command, love one another. It has nothing to do with how many minutes a day you should read your Bible. And so for you, I just want to tell you today that I have these thoughts on the Bible that it is, I think it's beautiful. I know it's mysterious. I believe God is in it. I have faith in that in some way. I have these beliefs about the Bible. But if you are fed up with the Bible, <laughs> if you've been harmed by it, you've seen other people harmed by it, if you are fed up with it, uh, I understand, and it's okay. It's okay. If you are triggered by the Bible, I understand, and it's okay. If you are angry at the Bible and at the way it is used and politicized and leveraged, 
I understand, and it's okay. You don't have to know exactly what you believe about the Bible. You don't. You don't have to read it every day or study it in just the right way. There is no Bible drill. There is no cosmic quiz test. I think the Bible is beautiful, no doubt mysterious. I believe it's sacred. But we are Christians, not biblicists. We are seeking to embody the way of Christ, not defend and protect the Bible. You are released. Hear me today. You are released from any shame in regards to how much you know about the Bible or how often you read or engage with the Bible. You are released from any shame. You are free from judgment about any of your biblical beliefs or feelings. There is no judgment. There is no shame. If you are a Christian, the Bible finds its only relevance in the commands of Jesus that we love one another. So gather, this is my prayer for us today. May you experience the Bible for what it is. Let the beauty and the bother wash over you. God is in it all. And be free. No more judgment. No more shame. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.